In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So we are now well and truly into the fast, and Lent, we know, is a time of growth. But it's also a time where we're challenged. And it, it's almost like the growth comes from the challenge. You know that um, as we grow, and it's a disgusting thought, so I hope I don't, I, I don't um, invade your imaginations too much. But obviously, we grow when we have a, s a skeleton. As we grow, that skeleton grows. Muscles grow, tissue grows. All of that grows and it becomes tense and it's elongated and that's how we get bigger bodies. And that comes with a little bit of pain. You know, it comes with pain that we're actually, we grow in stature. If we didn't, if those bones weren't elongated and the muscles weren't stretched and the tissue didn't, didn't increase, we'd stay the same size as we were when we were born. So likewise, our growth spiritually sometimes has these same growing pains. Because they're growing pains that come out of being pushed out of a comfort zone and being put under greater stress and that sometimes is in our relationship with people, sometimes our relationship with God, sometimes when we interact with situations. So spiritually, these things build us. We know for a fact that even our Lord Jesus Christ was tempted in the wilderness. And of course, we know that his whole life was an example to us. It was a testimony and it was an example, and it was a blueprint for us to work on. This is what life is, this is how it's going to be, this is how you should address it, this is how you should deal with it. And so he didn't just micromanage life, he didn't just give us pearls of wisdom from on high, he literally came, took flesh, dwelt among us, and gave us that same example, that same message. Now we're told in the Gospel of St. Luke chapter 4, that Satan, when he, had ended, when he had ended every temptation, departed from him. But he didn't just depart from him. The verse concludes, until an opportune time. Satan never just leaves us. He doesn't just give up. He doesn't give up. He's, he's, he is the proverbial dog with a bone. He is on a mission, and that mission is to tempt us until we fall. It's not just to tempt us, because what good is that? He doesn't just want to make our lives uncomfortable, he wants us to fall. He wants us to fail. And so he will leave us at times, but until an opportune time. Now, what is that opportune time? That opportune time is a time when I am most vulnerable. And if you notice, our Lord being God in flesh gave him a bit more challenge than we generally would. Because if you look at what happened with Satan when he tempted our Lord, he tempted him on everything. 
with us, it's usually he knows what our weakness is. So he'll go straight, he doesn't waste time with us. He knows us, he knows what our weakness is, and he will go straight for that weakness. He goes straight for that jugular because he knows that's how he can bring us down. With our Lord, he didn't quite understand. Was this God in flesh? Was this the Savior? Was this the one who was going to defeat him? He didn't know. He wasn't sure. So he decided to use every temptation. He started by tempting him with his senses. Are you hungry? Are you hungry? If you're hungry, you must be hungry. Of course you're hungry. Look at this stone. Change it. Then he tempted him with riches. Do you want things? Is that why you're here? You're becoming righteous and you're fasting and you're preparing because you want things? You know what? Rather than waiting for your God to give you things, I'll give you things. Took him up on a, on a pinnacle and showed him the riches of the world. That didn't work. I said, okay, well, in that case, if you're not a census guy and you're not a wealth guy, you must be one of these spiritual people. So what I'll do is, look, on top of the temple, now you're fasting and you're becoming closer to God. Why don't I help you to make your faith more manifest? Why don't I help you to challenge that faith? Why don't I suggest that you throw yourself off? And of course, if you throw yourself off, then God's going to save you. It's win-win. It's because you know, and therefore you'll prove it, and you'll be happy about it. None of those were the right temptation because he was tempting the incarnate word. But I'm wondering when it comes to us, which of those would be the right temptation? Which of those would make us fall? I'm just wondering in our lives, which of those would be our defeat? Would it be the sensual sin? Would it be the material sin? Would it be the sin of faith? What we do know is that God is gracious and loving. And in 1 Corinthians, St. Paul encourages us. And I always find such great comfort in this passage. Chapter 10. He says, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. Don't worry. You know, Satan will tempt you with things, but he doesn't tempt you with anything that he hasn't been tempting mankind with, humans with, since the beginning. There's nothing new. The approach may be new, because the approach is tailored to you. But the temptation itself is known. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. And he reassures us by saying, but God is faithful. Now, that comes straight after, don't worry. God is faithful. You are in the hands of a faithful God, a generous God, a powerful God, a fair God. He's not going to allow you to fall into something that you can't deal with, because that, that just would be unfair. That, that would be unfaithful. He says, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. He will allow you to be tempted, 
let's, you know, let's get this straight. He will allow you to be tempted, but not beyond what you are capable of withstanding. And so the mere fact that something befalls us, by definition means that we can overcome it. By definition. Because otherwise, what I'm saying to you, what you believe of God, all of this just doesn't make any sense. Because if this is not right, then God isn't fair, and we know God's fair. God is ultimately perfectly fair. So he won't allow us to be tempted beyond what we are able. Because what we are able is the limits. But sometimes we make big mistakes. And those mistakes are that we don't push ourselves up to what we are able. God knows what we're able to do. God knows what we're capable of. But we just take the easy road sometimes. We take the simple passage. We don't challenge ourselves. Imagine if you were trying to solve primary school mathematical equations when you were at university. I know some of us would still fail. That's because we're into humanities, though, not because we're not that intelligent. But imagine, we always take ourselves to the limit. Why do you study? Because you want to achieve, because you want a career. Why do you pursue the career? Because you think you're capable. Why do you want to go further in your career? Why do you want new responsibilities? Because you know what you're capable of. You know your gift. You know your ability. And you push yourself to that point. And sometimes I have seen people push themselves beyond that point. It becomes painful because they fail. But they don't mind because they want to push themselves beyond. But spiritually, we're much, much more conservative. Spiritually, we're into baseline outcomes. So I'm not aiming up here, I'm not even aiming here. I'm aiming just borderline. As long as I go beyond that baseline, I'm fine. You know, sometimes when, when you're studying and someone says to you, you know, I just need 51% to pass. So that's what I'm aiming for. The problem is, as we know, if you're aiming 51%, you usually get 31. So it's not a very good way to be. Because we're not challenging ourselves, we're not trying to do our best. But our Lord knows. He knows our abilities. He knows our baselines. And He knows that we will not be tempted beyond them. Because He will not let Satan have authority over us. The minute he allows Satan to tempt us beyond our ability, he gives Satan authority over us. And he would never do that, ever. St. Paul goes on to say, but with every temptation, he will also make a way of escape that you may bear it. He's always going to give you an exit. 
This in particular, we're, dis we're discussing because it's Lent. I remember the abbot of my monastery, um, very saintly man, who always had an expression. The once Lent started, he would always say, if anything went wrong, he'd say, these are the challenges of Lent. Because somehow you would feel that everything sort of was ratcheted up just a little bit. That the pressure was put on just a little bit. There was a bit more challenge. We were pushed a little bit further. Because, of course, it makes sense. If it's a time of spiritual focus, a time where we're trying to be better, a time where we're trying to grow, and Satan sees that happening, he's going to want to pull us back a little bit. Now, please be assured of one thing. I am not a Dungeons and Dragons guy, and I am by no means not a Harry Potter guy. Okay, So I don't look at these sort of saints and demons as these mythological characters and see things. I don't. You know, some people may see things. I don't. But I know the truth that I've been told. The truth is there is God. The truth is there is evil. The truth is there is Satan. Now call him what you want. Picture him the way you want. Imagine him working the way you want. But he's there. I know that sometimes when we speak to people who are not of faith and you say these things, they'll tell you you're delusional, they'll tell you you're mad, they'll tell you you're psychotic. But we're not. We're not. We understand just as there is goodness, there is evil. Just as there is God, there is Satan. They're incomparable because God is God and Satan is very limited, but they're there. And God will never ever, categorically, you know, leaving my legal career, I'm not going to give you a caveat, I'm not going to give you a caveat, I'm not going to give you an exception, I'm not going to give you a loophole. God will never, ever, beyond, tempt you beyond what you can bear. Ever. Why? Because I believe in his fairness, I believe in his equity, I believe in his faithfulness. I believe in his love. We've seen that time and time and time again takes the children of Israel into the wilderness. They're thirsty. So he gives them water from a stone. They're hungry. So manna falling from heaven. Even before that, they're running from their enemy. They have nowhere to go. He opens up the sea. They may not be options we have had in mind, but there are options he knows he has. And just as we approach what we think is the very edge, and we're about to fall off that edge, he will develop this wonderful bridge that allows you to cross. Because that is what he wants of us. God does not want our destruction. God wants for us righteousness and life. He doesn't want to defeat us. He doesn't want to break us. He, he is not your boot camp sergeant, right? We sometimes feel that like God is that tough instructor who just wants to break us. Actually, no. He wants to make us stronger. He wants to make us more complete. He wants to make us more holy. But A not against our will, and B, not beyond our means. Because we're also reassured that 
Gospel of St. Matthew chapter 10, our Lord says, even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear. So how could he say to us, do not fear, and in the same breath, put us into a temptation we are unable to handle? Because realistically, if I'm going to do that, then I would fear him. But I don't fear him, because I know him. But we do need to make decisions. We need to make decisions, and during this wonderful Lent period, it's a great time for us to make decisions. In the book of Daniel, we see Daniel making a decision. A very firm decision. Being captive, being taken into the king's court, being prepared to be in the king's court, selected especially. Daniel, we read in, in chapter 1, purposed in his own heart that he would not defile himself. The decision he made. Now, of course, we can make that decision. And we can purpose in our own hearts that we will not be defiled as much as we like. But the reality is, sometimes we'll fall. The reality is, sometimes we'll be tempted, and because we haven't been striving up to what we are able, Satan wins. But as long as I have at least purposed it in my heart, as long as I'm serious about it, then I'm able to turn around, understand my fault, and then repent and confess and return. So the outcome is still the same. I've had a bit of a glitch along the way, so line and then a blip. But that blip is containable because God knows my weakness and God allows me to overcome it. But we need to purpose in our hearts, as Daniel did, and be serious about it. Um, I don't think Daniel purposed it in his heart and then five minutes later went out for a drink with the boys. That, that's not what happened. I mean, it was a way of life. It's, it's, it's a choice. It's a lifestyle. If I purpose in my heart, then I make a commitment to it. And I form my life around it. Now I know I'm venturing into very dangerous ground where I might be sounding like your life needs to be boring for you to be righteous. But I don't think that's the case. Because you know what? I would hope that we have more strength of character than to equate joy and happiness and being able to interact socially, we'd be able to equate that with more than a social event or a substance or a crude joke or my looks that aren't appropriate, or my joke, all of those things. Surely, I, you know, I think I have a good time. I, I enjoy my life. I keep good company, of course, here. 
Um, you're all nodding. I also know some very humble people. So, so you know, I, I, I keep good company. I enjoy life. I enjoy the life God's given me. And it's not connected with any of the, th- any of the stuff, you know. I don't need, because that would really shock you, you know, I don't need to say crude jokes to make, make, a, make a point, to have a presence. I don't need to partake of certain practices or certain substances to, to have a presence. I believe that these are choices we make. And you know, you're not adolescents, and I, I'm very sorry, I don't mean to be patronizing in the slightest. It's not about having a drink. That's not what I'm talking about. It's about thinking that the drink is the only way to integrate. Because that's what I worry about. If at this stage of life, we still think that's only through that drink, that joke, that place, that we can integrate, then we're weaker, far weaker than we should be. Because I should have the ability and the grace and the life skills to integrate regardless. To integrate in spite of. And to make my mark. And to have a presence. But for that, we need to have the spirit of Daniel, where we purpose it in our hearts, but we also need to do something. In Romans 14, 19, we read, Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things which one may, by which one may edify another. So let's pursue the things by which I would edify you and you would edify me. That, of course, means that I don't do things that drag you down. I mean, there are three levels. There is, let's edify each other, let's just be neutral, net-net, or let's drag each other down. Now, we, we should be able to edify each other, to raise the bar, to challenge each other, to be able to inspire each other, to run the race, to go for the line, to reach our potential. We inspire each other in lots of things. But spiritually, do we, do we do that? Do we try to inspire each other? Or are we flatlining? Or, even worse, are we intentionally, and I really hate to say it, but intentionally dragging each other down? Because, you know, if you go up there, then I'm forced to go up there as well. And if I want to go up there, then you make me look bad. Or, you know, I like you and I like your company, and I can't be with you up here, so I need to bring you down here with me. Because I like you. Whether liking you means it's going to lead to your eternal benefit or not is irrelevant at this stage. I just know I like you. But that's not how it should be. We should pursue the things that edify. And that's why, if you look again at the book of Daniel, in chapter 3, when you look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right, the three holy youth, they were in that furnace together, praying. And the fact that they were in the furnace together praying, they edified each other so much 
that that wonderful promise of our Lord that there, where there are two or more gathered, I will be there in your midst, actually became manifest. People saw someone else in there with them. People saw someone accompanying them. So during this fast, we need to realize that it is a cumulative effort. It is something we do together. It's something we pursue together. There is, there is most definitely strength in numbers. Definitely. There is safety in numbers. There is inspiration in numbers. But we need to use that to our benefit. We need to use that knowing that God is there in our midst at that time. We're not alone. We're not alone at all. And if anyone tells you we're alone, then either that person is deceiving you, or that person, him or herself, they're already deceived. And they're not living the way that they should be living. Maybe they, maybe they need you to reassure them. And reassuring them doesn't necessarily mean to speak to them. It means they need to see that life enacted in you. So, am I taking part of this corporate fast? Even if I don't want to, even if I don't feel like it, even if I'm tired, even if I, I don't feel the immediate benefit all the time. But is there a value in me doing what edifies you for you, so that both you and I benefit together? Is there a value in us fasting together and praying together and having a common vision? Is there a benefit in us having a common target? Is there a benefit in us wanting to achieve? Because the last thing we want is what we hear about in, in the Gospel of Luke chapter 6, where it's the blind leading the blind. We don't want to do that. What we want is the enlightened, inspiring enlightened. And we spiral off each other. And we keep going up and up and up because we spiral. Because we, we challenge each other in the right way. We challenge each other spiritually. And we give each other the right motivation. A motivation to be strong. First Thessalonians, therefore comfort each other and edify one another. How much more could we say in terms of this corporate fast, this Lent? Through it, let us comfort and edify each other. Let's feel that we're praying together. Let's feel that we have a common purpose in a common fast, at a common time, in a common way. Because it's when we do that, that we're able to get through it. If I focus on the food, then of course it's going to be, it's going to be painful. If I'm marking my days by how many vegan meals I'm going to have and how bad they make me feel, of course that's going to be my, 
my preoccupation. But that's not what it should be. I remember we, um, when we used to have um, newly ordained priests in the monastery, I'd always be looking after groups of priests. And um, they spend 40 days. And we had a running joke that we would calculate the 40 days, 40 days by the number of plates of fool that they would have. Because they would have beans in the morning, beans in the evening. And so it was 80 plates. And you sort of tick them off. But that's not what it was about. It's not about fasting 55 days and thinking, how many days do I have left? Like sort of crossing it off on your calendar, because you know, 55 days is a lot of days. And if you're crossing them off, I really don't want to upset you, but that's like 2% a day. So if you imagine your mobile phone charging, or that file you're downloading, and if you're doing 2% a day, how does that make you feel? Pretty bad. But if we're not focusing on that, that, that measure, but we're actually doing it the other way, of saying, how much more inspiration can I provide? Spirit, strength, support, presence of God. Then I will work not only toward edifying others, but edifying myself. And what is immensely important to understand in this is that the stronger you are, the stronger I become. And the stronger I become, the stronger you become. And we bounce off each other. So yes, I want to invest in you just as you need to invest in me. And that's the concept of corporate spiritual life. Whether it's fasting, whether it's prayer, whether it's spiritual time we spend together, whether it's gifts we give in terms of our time and our dedication, all of that is us edifying and supporting and strengthening each other. So during this Lent, we need to look at the model of Daniel, the model of the three holy youth, the words of our Lord, and the reassurance that when we are together, we are not alone, because not only are we together, but he is with us. And during this Lent, we want it to be a time of growth, of edification, and of a greater presence of God in our midst, that we also can strengthen each other and be strengthened through each other. And glory be to God forever. Amen.